Hey guys, AJ and Luke of the Doopy Brothers here. We got a special episode. Um, the first half is all going to be a preview of the 2020 season with Matt Ralph of the Brotherly Game. And then after that, we have a special interview with uh, the guys that brought us the podcast 25 Stories that made MLS. It's Neetal and uh, Tutu Ramen. And they're, they're really cool dudes. We're excited about both, both interviews. We had a really fun night. Yeah, Matt will tell you everything you need to know for the season. Um, so take a listen to both parts of the episode. Enjoy. I know it's a little long, but thanks for listening. Hey guys, it's the Doopy Brothers Podcast presented by the Brotherly League Game. I'm AJ, joined by my co-host and brother. I'm Luke, and we are also joined by our editor and boss, uh, Matt Ralph. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's about time. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Matt, um, you, asked, you said like 2019, you know, it's 2020, that's fine though. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so, Matt, tell people kind of uh, what your role is with um, Brotherly League Game and all, and uh, validate us having you on the podcast, basically, now. <laughs> uh, so, I'm the managing editor of Brotherly League Game, and I, so I kind of I kind of do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and then I do a lot of writing. Uh, um, I've been writing for the site for quite some time now. A lot of the people that were involved when I started are no longer around, so I'm kind of the OG guy uh, <laughs> behind everything. And you know, I do some freelance writing as well about soccer, and you know, I enjoy uh, covering pretty much every aspect of uh, every level and every aspect of soccer. From I got some pretty sweet photos of my son on Saturday to uh, you know just covering USL, you know, USL two, MPSL, college youth all that kind of stuff so uh in terms of uh what qualifies me to be on the on the podcast probably <laughs> I spend an enormous amount of time thinking and thinking about and writing about and talking with people about the union so it, i'm no expert but i i i i definitely am living and breathing and, and live uh, the sort of the union beat if you want to call it that Matt, you are the expert, and that's why we're excited to have you. And that's why we want to save you for this special episode. Preseason's done, and now we're talking about the actual getting ready for the regular season now. Um, so, yeah, but it's about time, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> we're it's just saving forever. the best for last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of last, uh, the second half of the episode, we also have some other guests coming on, so uh, stay tuned for that. But I don't want to run you off, Matt, yet. So let's let's talk to Matt right now. Um, so Matt, what what are your overall just macro thoughts on the off season, where we are today compared to previous years at this point going into a season? How do you feel about the union? Um, whether it's about players, management, fans, just give me a big overall thought. Where where do you think the team is? Well, I, I, you know, I was on, uh, I was on the Dan Firestein's, uh podcast last night. He recorded since he's recording right now. Uh, I had a little, first time in my life I've ever had two people wanting to have me on a podcast around the same time. But <laughs> well, uh, 
that uh, yeah, that 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 is what it take, take that take that for what, it is, for what it's worth. But you know, one of the things I was saying to him uh, last night when we were talking was you know you know I think the the thing that the to me the the, the positive of the off season and, and probably why a lot of fans are the the fans who follow the team you know throughout the off season you know the fans like us who don't pay much attention to other sports other than soccer who are kind of like thirsty for for anything that's soccer related so we kind of follow closely but one of the things i think for me and and, and a lot of people that you know i've sort of interacted with online and, and talked to offline is there, there there's a there's a purpose behind what's happening with the with the team and i was telling dan last night it feels like they're a real club now in the sense that they're extending players contracts like mark mckenzie and you know obviously jack elliott early in the season but they're extending contracts they're they're making difficult decisions to let a guy like harris madunian and go who i think has been unfortunately maligned by the fan base in some ways since he left and it's sort of a little unfair to him because he it sort of discounts how important and how big of a deal he was for this team mm-hmm. uh, since he's been in, when during his time in Philadelphia. But you know, those are the things real clubs do. They let they let players like Harris Madunian go, even though it it isn't necessarily the the most popular decision. It's not always that a player isn't good. Uh, I think. Sometimes, uh, especially in soccer, you know, that happens. It happens more frequently that you have really good players who go, and it's not has nothing to do with them not being good. You know, a guy like Fafa Picot is going to have he's going to have a a, a a solid season for Dallas. You know, CJ Sapong when he left last year, you know, you knew he was going to score goals for Chicago. Fabian Herbers, I mean, who knows? He's still sort of a question mark and an enigma in this league, but. You know, to see them making moves like that, and then signing Jamiro Montero and spending two million dollars in a transfer fee to do it, to not have to finally have a guy who was loaned that wasn't a year loan situation mm-hmm. like yeah. Dershowitz and several others. So you're starting. You're the thing that I think that's that's the overall positive is that they're making moves that make them look like a club that we want them to look like. Right? We don't just want them drafting players and signing academy players and then oh by the way we're going to sign Will Trapp or something uh, to, to as a callback to a previous episode <laughs> not that I would have been mad about Will Trapp coming to the union but they're doing things like using transfer fees using their scouting networks um, just doing the kind of things that you, you know you expect of a, of a club particularly a club that's kind of come, come out and said hey we're not going to sign Chicharito we're not mm-hmm. going to sign big name guys we're going to beat we're going to beat people through our scouting and through finding you actually have to do it you know it's like so so i think that's been for me the encouragement has been to see them operating in these different ways and obviously the academy gets a lot of a lot of credit and i you know i spend way way too much time at academy games and following that that, that system too but i think the, the 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 beauty of what Tanner Aaron Tanner is doing is that he's he's also making some really interesting moves in the transfer market and in the international market. You know, we got a player from Norway that hasn't happened before. And you know, a player like El Brujo coming in who's you know is a little bit of an unknown 
coming in with the transfer fee, or, or like a 21 year old, you know, uh, for the, uh, I don't think the union ever paid a transfer fee for a player that young, other than maybe, I guess, well, Wagner was 22, I guess, right? So you're starting to see young players come in, transfer fees paid, and, you know, just moves being made that signal that there's a plan. And it's maybe it's not, maybe the plan, the plan isn't going to come to fruition and result in an MLS Cup this year. But to me, the the the, the appearance I get from everything I'm seeing is that the, the club is on on the right track at this point. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we are going to win MLS Cup this year, so I'll yeah, let you know that right now, of course. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'll totally agree. I, I mean, I mean, you really you really put it out there well in words. Um, I, I have a question for you based on like the preseason coverage and stuff. Uh, and I know some fans, you say you interact with some fans online and stuff. And so you may have seen this and felt this. Um, but like, do you have any answer to why the games were geo-blocked and there was like some limitations to seeing some of the preseason games? Because right now I kind of feel like I know these players are on the team, but as a fan who's not directly in the Philadelphia market, I don't really know much about them. Um, and then I was able to watch the stream this weekend uh, against DC United because that's that's our market. Um, right. It was it was really poor. So do you have any answer to like is that like a league wide thing that streams are kind of being limited now or whatnot? It seems to be that that the league is. I mean, I, I know in order to stream, you, you you need kind of three things in place. You need the you know, the technology to do it, right? So it, some of these sites where teams are training may or may not have the right kind of hookups and things to make that possible. Obviously, the where the union have played, it, they did, because we saw some streams. Uh, but then it's also the other team has to agree to it. And there, it seems to me like there's like kind of a negotiation. And then, and then you have the, the league basically saying whether or not they want to, uh, to to have a stream available, so I don't I don't know a lot I don't know a lot of the details behind the, the reasons for that, but it definitely seems like the union aren't unique in that situation. I've okay. been hearing a lot of you know there's a lot of the other SB Nation folks that in our Slack group kind of talking about that too, where there there's similar frustrations around the league, which then to me lends itself to the idea that the league is. Is, is, is it, you know is, is at least put conditions on 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 the streaming that has made it maybe a little little less um, or a little more difficult for the teams to, to do that and then of course the technology standpoint you're essentially seeing a training camera right like in, in Chester which follows the ball and so you're not you're not getting a production at, at a level that you know you would you would expect from a from some games we've seen in the past, right? I mean, I think the, the, the interesting thing is that, if, if I remember correctly, the, the Tampa Bay games, you know, because it was more of a tournament, the Suncoast Invitational, yeah. so you got, got kind of the USL, you kind of got the USL broadcast in the past, right? Yeah, me and Luke were talking about that earlier tonight. We were, oh yeah, just how that was, it kind of gave you more as a fan, and I don't yeah. know, I felt more excited for the team after watching those games, even though they may have not been against MLS teams, but... I got to know the team a little better. I got to see them. It just creates more excitement when you get to see the actual team on the field. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I don't know if it was one of you guys or someone else was saying about how, you know, the and 
I don't. I, I I will probably show some ignorance when talking about other sports leagues, but the NFL, you know, they have the the preseason games that are on the schedule. You can buy tickets and go see them, and they're on TV. The, the a lot of the minor league, the, the minor league, the spring training games for baseball. You can go and watch them and watch them on TV. They're not. It's not great baseball. I've never been a fan of, of <laughs> anything really, but like you said, it, it's kind of. I feel like it, it, it would be beneficial to the league and to the teams to say, "Hey, we're gonna have we're gonna have seven games in preseason, and four of them are gonna be scrimmages. They're gonna be at ten o'clock or twelve o'clock in the afternoon, or whatever. We're not gonna we're not gonna show those, but you're gonna get two broadcast games. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had said that, and at the very least, broadcast like broadcast quality." that DC game and the, the game against FC Dallas, I think. And, and if that's what you're saying up front, I think, I think people are probably going to be pretty, pretty cool with that. Right? right. You know, it's the, the uncertainty of it. It's like, I was kind of, you know, I've kind of made cracks myself on the, the Twitter account for brotherly game about, you know, the, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that um, with the DC game, at least, uh, you know, a tweet where it said they might stream it, and then it went to they're working on streaming it to the more the you know Friday night at four o'clock. There's gonna be a stream. <laughs> so you know, I mean, it's been even from a coverage standpoint, it's like, hey, do you want to live tweet the game if it's on? Uh, <laughs> do you want to write a recap if it's gonna be watchable? You know, it's. It's it's kind of been it's kind of been a little tricky in that respect and and I and I'd kind of be okay with honestly like you know we don't we don't get a ton of eyeballs on preseason coverage so I, I'm okay with it not being available but just you know just tell us that when you release the schedule these right. games are yeah. not going to stream you know we're going to do one or two that will be and 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 now you know so you can kind of plan accordingly and and also the whether it's open or not. It, it, that 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 was an honest uh, that was a, a legitimate complaint that some people have had where you go down to spring training you catch some games you can I mean the thing I like to do is you know I'm not I, I don't really I'm not a Phillies fan I don't follow baseball too closely but I would love to be able to go down catch a Union preseason game and catch a, a Phillies game if if mm-hmm. that that works within a schedule but. So if you're going to do that as a family, you're going to spend a week in, you know, St. Petersburg or whatever, Tampa Bay, you know, you need to, you need to know in, in you know, <laughs> November when you're booking your family trip to do that, that, that there's going to be, you know, if not the exact date of the game, you have some idea that it's going to happen and you can take your kid and get some autographs or, or whatever. Cause that's, I've never been to spring training, but that's always been my understanding is that, at least in the old days before things got crappy in baseball was that, you know, you could take your kid and they could get autographs. It's more laid back and not as crazy as a, you know, a game where there's like 40,000 people at it or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I I think there's definitely some room (laughs) room for improvement (laughs) in how they, how they handle that. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't seem like it's a a unique thing to the union. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Cause it was a question of mine, and I know other people are wondering about it. Yeah. So, let's get into uh, your 2020 Philadelphia Union. Um, 
Let's let's start in the back. Uh, I've had some different opinions on this show about Andre Blake. I know we all saw what was last year. Um, what are your thoughts? Give us like two minutes on Andre Blake or the other goalkeepers. What your predictions are for them this year? I mean, I think I think Andre Blake is 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 interesting is that an interesting spot in his career because I think he is one of the best goalkeepers in MLS. He, I, I do have questions about whether he's the best player for the system that they're 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 running out there, and I think you guys kind of talked about that a little bit last week, and you know, uh, or, or or maybe it was views from the bridge. I I, I get you all, all you guys mixed up, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of us. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot now. In terms, of if you think about the system and you think about his strengths and you think about his weaknesses. Uh, I mean, the guy is like such a great stop shot, shot stopper that mm-hmm. he's he's still you know top five in, in the league easily, even with some of his deficiencies with the ball and with distribution. And you know, I, th- that's that's where my concerns lie is more with how he fits into the system that you know that they're moving more toward this year because right. as as we as we remember. You know, last year was sort of the the, the in between uh, the in between regimes. I mean, Kevin Kincaid said it really well with you know his yeah you know, he's a West Virginia guy, so he's going to talk about the, the transition from you know to, to Bob Huggins and how Bob Huggins is used. I'm not a fan of Bob Huggins. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, I have to say that. Uh, you know, you're, you're you're a fan. You're a fan first, but. Um, the uh, a fan or not a fan, uh, but you know just the idea like how you know coaches come in and they have kind of a mix of their players and the previous uh, mm-hmm. person players in this case, you know they're, they're, it was the, the year one of the Ernst Tanner kind of overseeing the overseeing the whole deal, and so it was a little bit of a of a blend of the, of the players, and now you're seeing more of a move toward what you know the style that Ernst wants to play, and so I do have concerns about how he adjusts to that and if the center backs were pushed up, how that, how that impacts him. Um, you know, in terms of, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Joe Bendick fan. I have been for, <laughs> even when he was not on the union, I was a fan of him. And, and the, the, the reason I like Joe Bendick is he's just a, he's, he's a guy where, you know, you know what you're going to get from him, right? You, you know, that, He's had some seemingly had some of his best games against the Union uh, over the years, but I, you know, I really like him as a as a guy on the bench and and, and training in the locker room, and so I think he's someone who, you know, obviously it's a it's a battle between him and Freeze. You know, when Blake's away, Freeze showed a lot of promise last year. You know, it was unfortunate that he dealt with some of the injuries he dealt with, but you know, I think the goalkeeping, you know, between Blake and and, and the two backups are. They're they're in pretty good shape. I'm not really worried about the goalkeeping. I I, I like I said, my concern is more just kind of nitpicky things with Blake at this point. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm positive or, or optimistic about Freeze. I think he'd be a, he's a decent uh, guy to have it behind him. But let's move on to uh, the defense right in front of Blake. I, I know it's maybe less of a change from last year potentially in the starting lineup. I know Wagner's hurt right now, but the starters should be potentially the same as as what we had last year. Do you think that's? Do you, do you think there should have been any upgrades? I, I know Glezens could jump in, but do you think maybe right back was a spot we should have upgraded, or do you think we're pretty much set? 
I would have liked to have seen a right uh, something done with right back. I do, I do, I say that knowing that Nathan Harriel is a is a pretty good prospect at right back who's yeah. still unsigned, uh, but you know he played a lot for uh, in the USL last year. You know, so you start to it's it's hard when you have those questions about well, will this player block another player from from coming up? But you know, but Kai Wagner. Is a great example. They had they have Real. He wasn't quite at the level they he needed to be. At. I mean, and that's no knock on him. I mean, the guy was 19 when you know he's 20 yeah. now. So, uh, you know, he's he still has time to, to to develop into that you know automatic left back starter in in the league. But you see that as an example of how Kai Wagner, Kai Wagner came in and you know from from the get go was. The left back we Union fans have been looking for since Jordan Harvey left. Really, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have you know if you're making like a best eleven, you go left back pre Wagner. You're like, well, Jordan Harvey and question mark, right? Right. Uh, Maybe a Fabinho. So, yeah, it's it's just, it's not it's not been a position that's been uh, you know. So I mean, hands down, we have. The, the best left back core the team's ever had because you mm-hmm. do have a guy like Real who can come off the bench and play. So, so yeah, I think in that respect it would have been interesting to see. But then you have Baizo. We don't. We still don't really know because his injury issues and and it, it's tough to to completely you know base an opinion on a player based on how a first team player based on how they play in USL when they're kind of going back and forth and they're not they're not training with the team and they're just playing and so I mean Mark McKenzie had some some pretty interesting struggles playing for in USL last year and I remember thinking okay well this this is this isn't anything to get too concerned about because he's a first team player coming down it's it's a little bit of a uh, a different scenario uh, when when you have that so but but yeah Baizo I think getting him some Get, getting like more for people to say like yay or nay on that right. yeah yeah uh, but you know we know we, we know what ray is and ray will have a different he'll have a you know have a at least you know one of the midfielders in that in that in that diamond will will be different this year so uh, i think i think you know that's uh you know I, I try, again i think it goes back to that there's a lot of trust right now in terms of how they're how they've constructed the roster and the decisions that, that have been made. It's not one person deciding that Ray Gaddis is going to start. It may seem like that, but it's not. It's 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 the whole team getting together and saying, you know, they're looking at data. They're they're using a lot of factors to determine that. And so, would I like to? Of course, yeah. I mean, it, can you imagine a, a Kai Wagner type player at right back. Uh, yeah. Season, I think we'd be more uh, more excited about uh, the prospects for the team at this point. Definitely. Um, in the midfield, um, it's been pretty well documented. I mean, everyone knows Montero, Aaron's, and Bedoya, so I'm not going to ask about them. But I just want to know where you stand on the six because I think that's I mean that's everyone's big question mark for this year. Um, how are we replacing Harris? What kind of player is it going to be? And this most recent. Um, preseason friendly we had Craval starting so who do you see starting at the six on uh, in Dallas 
And yeah, so it's interesting enough that I feel like the six is the position with the with maybe the most questions, but it's also the deepest position on the team. Yeah. In the sense that you have you have, you know, Craval, you have Cole Turner, you have El Brujo, you have Orvec, uh, and I feel like there's probably someone else too that <laughs> oh Jack Elliott could to potentially oh, yeah. <laughs> you know an emergency player that's where he played initially in college so you know they're they're it's just it's kind of a weird situation right where you have four really talented players who can play the six I mean I'm I'm I've been very high on Cole Turner for a number of years now and you know just even just to see the jump that he made from you know, over the course of the past year, I mean, I always saw him as a player who was was really had incredible passing range and who was very smart. But I think last year you saw a real a real growth in him physically and how he how and just how he he, he plays the game and and but I don't think he's ready to step in there. Okay. If he gets minutes, if he gets minutes, that'll be great. You know, on the first team. But but he is he is I when I talk about that being you know four talented players I, I would definitely include him in that and Curtin has been impressed with him when he's talked about him in preseason so I I would not I mean I was not necessarily surprised to see Craval starting there uh, particularly when you know Orvac was away for a while and you know El Brujo was a super exciting player I mean I probably of everybody I've seen in the preseason he's the one I'm most excited about not necessarily for like next week but but, I mean in terms of his skill set and I mean you saw him in the second half and gosh him and him and El Sino on that right side were were really really fun to watch and uh, so, so I, I, I would probably say I would, I would go with Orovac as being the guy that you paid the transfer fee to bring in. He's an international, although he is 21, so he's still, still young in, in that sense. But I wouldn't be surprised if Craval just, just to kind of get them, get you know, give him the kind of that, that foundation to get started. Uh, he is more defensive, and so if there's still some concerns about. How well the back line's gelling, and, and and how they're how they're adjusting to. And Jack Elliott was away for over a week as well, so uh, he, you know, Jim Curtin said last week he hadn't had a chance to really experiment at all with three at the back, which is something I think he we'll, we'll see late in games. You know, when he's like kind of moving 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 pieces around the chessboard, uh, right, right, and he right. hasn't even had it, been able to try that because he hasn't had those three guys. Available at the same time, uh, yeah. three guys, McKenzie, Glessness, and uh, or Gla- however you pronounce it, Gla- J- Jacob and Jacob. <laughs> Jack. So we'll just go first names. Yeah, that's easy. easy yeah. to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's jump. Let's jump up top to uh, where the big bucks are made. Um, so I mean, we've got a bit of a stable of strikers, I guess you could say. I I don't feel like we have a completely proven striker core though I don't know exactly I think there's still a little a little bit of the question mark of where we're going to get all of our goals I don't know if Casper yeah. is going to give us as much as he gave us last year um so what what are your thoughts on on our striker core I well if they if they stay healthy you're fine the thing that I'm worried about is you know we saw Casper and Sergio miss a lot of time last year 
Sergio was adjusting to a new league and a, a new there were a lot of things that were very different for him coming from Chile and coming to the US in terms of just how the team is run and just there's a lot of there's a lot of things that that are asked of players in the union system um, that were, were new to him and he had to adjust that he had an old injury that kind of flared up again in preseason and never it's like every time he started to get going you'd, you'd He'd go up to training and or Sergio, you know, like so, mm-hmm. some something would kind of get in the way of him actually breaking through. So I mean, it, it, the talent is certainly there. I mean, you guys, you guys were in Minnesota when you saw yeah. what was could have potentially been one of the all-time, all-time uh, goals. Oh, uh, goal unreal! History. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I like I've watched that replay a few times, and I'm like he's going to score this time, right? <laughs> <laughs> has to. He has to. Uh, this is too good of a, of a play to not, to not finish with a goal. Uh, but no, I think, I think he is, is, is a really, has a potential to do some really, uh, real damage in the league this year just because it, he's, I mean, would you, uh, AJ, would you want to mark him? I mean, really? <laughs> uh, uh, no, no. Uh, speed, <laughs> speed and strength are not the, kind of strikers I like to go up against. I like the more of the uh, back to the goal, I'm slow, yeah. and I'm not going to turn on you. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a guy I would not want to defend. Um, yeah, I'd probably try to I mean, push him to the outside of the him running, him running at you, right? And like on a like the way because like, he's like he's he's built like a bull and he is so fast yeah, yeah and, I would just I would just turn around and start running and hope I could try to beat him <laughs> to the box and fall over. <laughs> So yeah, so I think there's there's definitely I mean and then Vooten too. Let's not forget he kind oh, of yeah. came in at the end. You know, his season had ended in Germany. He had a few weeks off. He came in. He did not. I mean, he looked like a guy on vacation when mm-hmm. he came. In. And uh, you know, so I think that, and I also think Vooten's the type of player that he's one of those strikers where you're not gonna he's going to score goals for you, but you're not going to be like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing, right, when he's not scoring because that's not the type of – he's not a flashy player. He's more of that striker that's going to going to get you goals because they make smart runs or they're sort of – they kind of hide from people and they pop up when they need to. Um, you know, the goal he scored that got called back, right? I mean, that was yeah, kind of, that was mm-hmm. – That's the type of goal you're going to get from Vooten, so – I think even if you know, even if he's not like a double-digit goal scorer in MLS, if he he gives you five or six goals off the bench, and then you get nine, ten out of Casper and Sergio, that's to me that's a that's a good return for the regular season. I, the concern is still, do they have that guy who's going to score that goal that you need to to win the conference final or to you know to win the the playoff game or whatever to win the Open Cup? I mean that's that's going to still be the question mark. I think is, I think the goals are there um, if they stay healthy. I, I, you know, Corey Burke comes back. That's a that'll be an interesting scenario. Or if he doesn't come back, they'll certainly be bringing in a player for that position because it is a little bit of a. It's not the deepest position on the roster at this point. Uh, I know, I know Michi is there. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't know how Michi I still don't know how Michi fits in as the, the as one of the strikers in a four four two. I don't necessarily see DeVries being a striker in that that system either. Uh, both of those guys are very good good wide players. Uh, I mean you've seen already from DeVries 
how good he is on the flank. And yeah. so, so I kind of see him, you know, he'll get minutes. Hopefully he'll get a lot, a lot of them, right. Improve the, show that skill on, on the MLS level. But, you know, I just, in terms of like the, you know, you have Casper and you have Vuton and that's it from, mm-hmm. for, from the, 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 the standpoint of like the, the big target guy, the, and then you have, you know, you have obviously Santos is, is, is you know, I can play on the wing as well. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I still think that's an area they can, they can, uh, you know, uh, Sugarman said they have money to spend. So, yeah. you know, we're transfer that if, if, if uh, some of those injuries kind of come back and, or, or things aren't, aren't going the way they need them to, then, uh, I, I could see that position being upgraded, uh, or at least something being done to kind of give give the team give Curtin a little more, a few more options up up top. Right. Yeah. Uh, so so let's get into Golden Boot for the team. I, I think I know where you might be heading. Um, I know my choice, Oscar Luke, but Matt, I'll let you go first. Who do you think is the Union Golden Boot for this year? The goal. I, I mean, I, I have to I have to go with Casper uh, just because. He would have broken CJ Sapong's record last year if he hadn't gotten hurt and if he had, hadn't missed like the first several games of the season. Um, you know, he, he he, I think he ended up so he had what fifteen for the season in MLS, and he had three for for the Steel. So he had eighteen goals uh, over the course of the season in all competitions. Yeah. Uh, so I just I think that he's the type of player again if if that if he doesn't have I mean, the guy's had some terrible luck with with injuries. I mean, that uh, it doesn't get much worse luck than the injury he picked up at the end right of his end. Yeah, because it wasn't it wasn't any major. Like he just said, he could tell it was something. It just wasn't uh, you know. It just was one of those kind of weird things that happened in training. Um, but I I just think he's the type of player who you know he has so much confidence and he is so clinical that as long as he's on the field, I think he's gonna. He's going to lead the team. I mean, that could be ten goals. But if you, like I said, like if you can get five, six goals out of Wooten, you can get like six or seven out of Santos. You get Brendan to score like three or four. I mean, you're, and then you know Montero just do just shoot it, man. Just yeah. take the shots, uh, especially after the one you saw the other day against DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I, I, you know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that this is a team. It's not built as a team that needs a, a 17 through 22 goal scorer, right? So uh, I think, uh, you know, if Casper is leading the line with 10 goals or 11 goals and he adds, he tacks on some assists because the guy can pass, right? I mean, that's the, that's the other thing that's so, mm-hmm. so, so great about him. Is he's really good with the ball and he's, he's got such a good touch and everything. So, I, I, I'm going to go with Casper as kind of a safe option. I think the, the, you know, obviously you guys, I forget which, if it was AJ or Luke, was uh, was calling for 20 from uh, Sergio last year. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that was him, me. I don't know if that's really the, what I don't know if that's the type of, the type of goal scorer that he is. I think he's going to be, he's a, he's going to create as many goals as he scores, whether he gets assists or not. He's just going to. Because he's gonna he's gonna pull the he's gonna pull the, the tension away from uh, from from other guys to open them up as well. So um, 
and hopefully if he doesn't get sent off and get too many fouls like he'll, he'll just be that guy who's going to just create havoc throughout throughout the 65 or 70 minutes that he plays yeah and luke luke um so i know casper was your guy last year you were all about him um you changed your middle name to shabilko but then you can't remember how to spell it so you changed it back yeah and stuff um, prz prz that's how you that's how you remember it. it's prz, it's easy, PRZ. Easy. <laughs> all right, the prez gotta remember that <laughs> <laughs> so luke is that gonna be your golden boot for the year yeah i'm gonna w- be the same as matt yeah i'm gonna agree and stick with casper i just love his finishing abilities and i think santos and Wooten are gonna have decent years but i just don't think they're gonna compete with casper's numbers i'm gonna go with the uh, santos i think Although, um, I think in the one of my bold predictions for you, Matt, in the brotherly game, I think I said between Santos and Casper, there's going to be 30 <laughs> goals between the two of them. So, um, I don't know I don't know how it's going to be split, but I do think Santos is going to – I think he's going to be a boss this year. That's, that's going to be my pick. I'll go different. Um, I'm going to say 25 between the three of them. Like 25 between three. three. Okay, Santos. okay. Absolutely. Just, just, just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're coming up to the end here, um, but I do want to get to Dallas real quick. I know you're going to the game. Um, me and Luke always like to make predictions. We're going up against Fafa. Um, do you think Fafa will get to start? Do you think he'll he'll start and score a goal for sure? He'll start and score a goal. <laughs> okay, okay. Unless, unless he, unless the goal in the preseason game was his goal, right? I mean, he's going to score. <laughs> So, but yeah, I would I would not be at all surprised if you know, for if he, if he either gets a goal or an assist or something, because uh, I don't think it's going to be a clean sheet. But but yeah, yeah. So yeah, do you have I, uh, I want Fafa to score much goals against everybody else. But yeah. Not <laughs> so give us a, a prediction for the score of that game. Oh, I I think I was I was typing up something earlier and I said two one to the Union. Uh, I, I put that they took a, and this was like I was I think I was just doing like dummy copy uh, for for the site and I had them up two nil in the first half and then uh, Fafa scoring in like the fifty fourth minute or something uh, to make it two <laughs> one and then them holding on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that because that was just sort of you know random. Uh, they're going to win 2-1, so that's what I'm going with. Yes, I like it. Um, I'm going to go with the 2-2 tie. Usually I'm more positive, but I, I don't know. I just feel a 2-2 tie. Start the season a little bit, blah, blah. But, yeah, I never start out. Like I've seen so. Dallas so good in that preseason. I mean, I, there's, a, there's a lot of quality on that side. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think that was one I got to see. We didn't get to see that one, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that, we didn't get to see yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah, so it must <laughs> be nice. It must be nice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, um, well, you know, I mean, you know, from yeah. last year, I mean, FC Dallas is they're you know they have a good coach, they're they're good, they're a good team. They're they got um, multiple guys making uh, the national team, getting their first yeah. caps just recently. Yeah, they they they're solid front to back, definitely. Luke, do you have a prediction for this one? I was gonna say one zero Union win. Ooh, a yeah. shutout! Like, uh, not super exciting, but we eke out a goal and get the result. There you go. Um. See so, yeah, it. So we're we're out of time, Matt. Um, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, you have such good insight. Um, I can't wait to get you on in another two years. We'll try to not to get you on too often. Um, but Matt, before you go, tell people where they can find your work and stuff. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter a lot, uh, too much. Uh, at, at Matt Ralph, at Matt Ralph underscore TBG. 
and of course brotherlygave.com and I you know will do have articles occasionally on mlssoccer.com and yeah I mean you oh yeah the cup.us is another place that, that I do stuff I'm a big open cup fan and uh, we, have, we actually have some good open cup games coming up here in our area here up here with uh with game there's a game at Rowan and a game at uh in Westchester coming up for uh the end of March for the first round of the open cup so uh, yeah that's nice. uh and you also have your own podcast you didn't even mention that oh yeah the path. come on I man do the, the path where I I you know I kind of don't really talk about the union I mean I do in passing with people but it's more about just the kind of the it's a way to sort of do interviews with people and talking about just their journeys in the game and how they, you know, how they've gotten to where they are and the, the different paths they've taken either, either as a player, as a coach, as a fan. Uh, I have a, an interview with the guy who uh, designed the, the, the new Reading United logo that's coming up soon. So nice. yeah, awesome. yeah, you'll, 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 you'll enjoy that one, Luke, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Luke oh, loves for logos. Sure. Looking forward to that. Luke is the uh, design critic for yeah. Brother's game now, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take that role. <laughs> well, Matt, thanks again for coming on. Um, you, you're just so informed and all, and, and I know me and Luke, as soon as you reached out to us last year about joining the Brotherly Game team, we wanted to jump on as soon as possible because we've always enjoyed reading your work with MLS and Brotherly Game. So thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. And uh, maybe we will let you on again sometime this season. <laughs> So, so you're saying you're you're we're gonna continue for another year our relationship is that is that is that what you're saying, dude? You keep paying us. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. We, we're like we're like USL where it's like a, a, a one year a one year with an option. Is that, is that <laughs> that's how much USL deals work? Yeah, until the Cooligans ask us uh, to join them. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're stuck with us for a little bit longer. Yeah, you know it's uh, yeah we're 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 we're, we're trading people up for. Uh, for for their for their chance to get to get first team football. <laughs> <laughs> as, long as, get, as long as I get a so, uh, solidarity fee, I'll be good. So. There you go. Well, thanks again, Matt. I know everyone enjoyed it. Um, so, thank you and congratulations on 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 the on the, the new edition, Adrian. Hey, thank you very much. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Matt Ralph. Um, come back after the break, and uh, we're gonna have the two brothers from. 25 stories of MLS coming on uh, to talk to us about some more union stuff, academies, and uh, about how the league was formed. So come back after this. Hey guys, it's the Doopy Brothers podcast presented by the Brotherly Game. It's me, AJ, and Luke, and we're joined by two special guests. They're the hosts of 25 stories that make MLS. So guys, um, why don't you come on, introduce yourselves, and tell us about your podcast, which as of today, it's one of the top 15 American soccer podcasts, so congrats to you guys. I appreciate it, man. Uh, my name is Tulo Rahman. Uh, I'm Neetal Rahman. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're, we're the co-hosts on uh, 25 Stories. And so, how did you come up with this project to uh, create this podcast? Basically, this Neetal speaking, I did nothing. <laughs> I did absolutely nothing. Uh, Tulo's the one who came to me and was just like... I have this idea. I want to nerd out about MLS. What do you think about it? And, bro, you can explain how it started, like how the original <laughs> yeah. idea. Yeah, I mean, it, like the 24th season just ended, and I was kind of getting like a little depressed around this idea of MLS not being around for a while. But then, you know, I was doing the math, and like, you know, this is the 25th season, and it's a big landmark, and 
And I, I was into other podcasts that were like really, uh, like there's one called uh, 50 Stories or 50 Inventions That Made whatever it's kind of uh, like a how stuff works yeah how thing. stuff works yeah. thing yeah and so like it was like 10 15 minute stories about like inventions uh that you would never really think about and why they've made modern uh society or technology work which is a random long way of me saying like you know what's interesting is like a lot of people especially we live in atlanta now um and there's a lot of fans here that have only been in part of the league for like three four years and True. so like to go back into the history, find stories that like explain to new fans why the league is the way it is right now, um, I thought was a really interesting idea and trying to do it in a relatively short amount of time, like in a 20 or 30 minute episode. So that's kind of the... Yeah. So so what, like how did you break down the episodes? What, what made you decide which ones to do? Yeah, like did you guys have a big list and then cut it down? Yeah, I think, well, honestly, like we had... Um, I, like a vision of like phases of MLS so like right. we had like the early part of the year uh, before like when MLS was unstable and I think for the first five right yeah. about yeah. the first five in that era we had mapped out in the beginning and then you have like 1.0 2.0 and 3.0 and in those like we knew like kind of big moments that we want to talk about like the one we always talk about I think is Alfonso Davies which will end up being our last one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but, like, I feel like, um, I feel like we it's, also... It's slated for the final episode, yeah. you mean. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. And, right. Then, um, and then I think, you know, along the way, as we're doing research, it might uncover another kind of episode in between. So, like, we just finalized our list of the 25. Yeah, I saw you just put those out the other day, and, uh, yeah, I'm already looking forward to... Not the end of the show, but uh, I hear all the episodes. They all they all sound intriguing. I was also kind of blown away. So I I was born in '87, but your digging kind of starts in '84. Your first episode is talking about even before I was born, which the league doesn't start till 1996. So it's pretty cool that you kind of dug all the way back there to kind of figure out where did this American soccer culture um, that is now MLS kind of get its first legs. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I, I know uh, my brother always joked about it in the beginning, is like how far back I was going. <laughs> I don't know if people know I'm joking when I say I wasn't alive in like '94. <laughs> yeah, when I clearly was. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but '84 was like even before I was born, and like, um, it was interesting because I was, you know, the first episode should be the start of the league, and I just kept pulling on threads. I was like, oh, okay, the reason why the league started is because of the deal with the World Cup. Well, the World Cup was done by this person, um, Alan Rothenberg. But Biden was Alan Rothenberg president, and I kept just going back, and it just like started in 1984, which I thought was a really interesting starting point, because no one really thinks about that as like a if the LA Olympics soccer tournament isn't successful, maybe none of this ever happens, kind of thing. Yeah, um, which I thought was a really good starting point for the entire podcast. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a phenomenal start and something that. I'm I'm a diehard soccer fan, and I had I would have never known that if it hadn't been for your podcast. I mean, honestly, um, I, I didn't know it until I started looking it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you found that you have a favorite like author or a resource that you go to 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 learn more about these things that people could use? I think I mean in terms of sources, like you get I've gotten like a strong appreciation 
Grant um, Wall is a big one. Yeah. Just in general, over the entire timeline, he's always done really a lot, good work. A lot of our sources are Grant Wall work. And then, like... Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. And just, like, the, like the OG kind of... Uh, journalists, especially in the early years, you know, like people who have consistently written on it. There's a lot of Soccer America articles mm-hmm. from the way, way in the beginning. Um, and so, like, I would say, yeah, Grant Wall, Soccer America in general. And I think in recent years, like um, Paul Tenorio across his entire kind of um, full, you know, all the places that he's written as a journalist and as a uh, columnist, I think has really helped us a lot. But you start, when we start looking at all the sources, you start appreciating, especially in the early years, there was probably like three or four, Stephen Goff on, on the Washington Post, like three or four people that consistently wrote about this league, um, even when it was much smaller in the back. And I'm going to uh, assume really cool. that when you start searching things on Google, you're going to, you know, tangentially run into other articles that you never would have even thought about. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. part of the research process. Yeah. So it's a lot of it's like right. discovery. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I always appreciate that you end the episode kind of citing your sources, just in case, you know, some soccer nerd like myself wants to go check it out for myself. But luckily I don't have to because you did all the legwork like, for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, it makes me happy to know that some people are clicking on some of the articles. I mean, they definitely are <laughs> some clicks. So what are some of, like, the most, like, eye-opening things you've learned through all this research? Like, for us, it was, like, like the Supporter Shield idea coming from a Mutiny fan, or, like, I, I feel like I got a lot out of, like, the David Beckham stories, uh, that episode. What were some of the things that you came across that really, like, stuck out to you? For me, personally, the Toronto story is nuts. Yeah. It sounded like a Scorsese film. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> it was, like, somebody, like, if they could get, like, those guys to, like, narrate... As the as the protagonist, and then this crazy. <laughs> I think and... I think to date that's probably our favorite collective story, because it's, I had the most fun with it because it was just so ridiculous. It was very over yeah. the top, and like um and like again, it's like you know it was a big moment. Toronto FC is a big club. It's the first time you expanded Canada, so it's the starting point. And then I'm like, hey, who's the owner right. that set this whole thing up? Because every other story is like a there's a person that did something and had this They're background. usually from this type of money. Yeah. yeah, and like you start going back and you're like, oh my God, this ownership <laughs> team is like incredible. Like, and the, and the time when they actually bought the team is actually owned by an entire pension fund, which is like ridiculous. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm thinking that's like our favorite, probably favorite episode. Nice. That's awesome. So today you guys put out um, an episode about the homegrown rule and Philly kind of fits in as far as you talked about academies as well. And so if you wouldn't mind just giving us kind of a quick little recap of the episode, maybe talk about where where you guys kind of talked about the Philly aspect of the academy system um, and kind of for our Philly fans. Yeah, 100%. So I, uh, the episode is about the homegrown rule, which I think it launched in 2008. The actual directive that every MLS team had to have an academy came a little bit earlier in 2006. And then the rule is set place. Basically, we talked about in early MLS, you really couldn't sign a player outside of the draft, um, a domestic player outside of the draft and outside of like Generation Adidas contracts. So like... This was the first way where you you could actually sign a player um, that you are helping to develop, right? And what's fascinating to us was just like the designated player rule, um, the homegrown rule took a long time for it to really 
take hold, right? So the first year, um, there was only one player, um, LA Galaxy's Tristan Bowen. The second year, there was only four players. And the third year, there was only 10 players. Like, it was really slow to take hold. And if you look at the reasons why, is because, one, it's fine. You tell every MLS team to make an academy and that they can sign players, but, like, the jump is so big. And so, like, it wasn't until the reserve league kind of went away and was integrated into USL in, like, 2013 and 2014. And even then, you still have a pretty slow adoption. Like, not everyone is fully invested in it. Mm. And so, for me, the thing that is really interesting about the Union Academy, the YSL, is the charter school. And, like, the fact that it's, like, a full school that, like, um, you know, people can go to and train during the day and train after school and do a game. And, like... I think there was one video I was looking at when someone from the academy in Philadelphia was saying, like, you know, an average club player plays, like, two or three times for practice and one time in the weekend. And here, they're playing ten times for practice and, and right. one time in the weekend. And so, like, the level of development is super strong. And you're starting just now to see the fruits of the all of those efforts uh, with the basically the last two years of the academy players. And I think Philly is a really, really great example of that. I think... I think RSL is the only other one that I can think of is like has a similar level setup, um, but the quality that you're seeing out of the Philly Academy is fantastic. Right, right, um, and yeah, it's been cool to kind of see. Yeah, like you said, the fruits of the labor are really coming through right now. With uh, Aronson McKenzie, Trusty was just sold, um, and so kind of just opening up to to all of us. Like, what do you guys think the goal of any academy should be year to year. So there's, I feel like there's a couple different things that academies could focus on, whether it's first team players, national team players, trying to create, I don't know, just better youth, or, I mean, I personally think the biggest thing has to be, and it probably is for everyone, but selling to Europe. Like, like you guys talked a lot about the Tyler Adams model where he was the most successful. Yeah, uh, so I, guess, I think uh, we touched on it on our pod a little bit, I mean, ideally you'd want a system where the expectation is you're you're selling out three, four young young players like every year. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think I think um, to the point where you think it's a revenue stream. Yeah, like a revenue stream because we we did mention that uh, the club keeps keeps all the profits if it's a homegrown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that's a huge incentive for clubs, I think. Yeah, and that's something we can maybe see in the next five years or so. Yeah, I think I think I think that's right. I think if you think about the entire p- talent pipeline, it goes from academy to selling to Europe, and I think the last phase still hasn't been really done by anyone. I mean, the Red Bulls are are the closest to it, and they average selling someone to Europe for over a million dollars. That's like homegrown once every three or four years. If you look at the model of any club in Europe that's seen as a developing club they sell three to four players every year so like i think if you do the also on the business side of it like if you're selling three to four players every year at two or three million per player that means you're getting an incremental like 10 million dollars a year i mean that's more than a jersey sponsorship that's like up there with the uh, naming rights of uh of a stadium that's an entirely new revenue stream of which now you have a competitive advantage because again, not every MLS club is taking it as seriously as the union does. And now you have like 
additional money to invest, reinvest into the system. So to me, that is the last frontier. It might take another four or five years because you're talking about getting to the point where like you don't feel bad about selling McKenzie because you already know that there is a center back prospect in your academy that can step in immediately. And I'm not sure any academies at that point, um, but I think that's the goal, right? Right. Yeah, that's. I mean, that sounds amazing, especially for for Union fans who have a uh, an owner who's maybe doesn't have the deepest pockets compared to Atlanta or or, or other guys. But adding that like ten million, ideally every year, with would be would go so far for a Union franchise. Yeah, totally. And I, th- I think that's the other proof point is like the system has to show that it can win MLS cups. Like I think you right. have a little bit yeah. of success with Supporter Shield. I mean, we we said you know even with like the DP rule that wasn't necessarily taken that seriously when that rule first came out because at the end of the day, I think you have to prove things on the field. Yeah, that didn't really take off until the Galaxy started winning back-to-back right. with the DP rule, <clears throat> right? And so, like, I think, and this is kind of the biggest picture of all for U.S. soccer purposes, if, like, a club like Philadelphia wins MLS Cup and is, like, winning or coming close to winning supporter shields on a regular basis... That means every other club needs to then follow suit, right? And um, so I think those are probably two things. One, fulfilling that pipeline so you can start selling to Europe for a new revenue stream. And two, to have one of the clubs that have embraced this as part of their identity, like Philadelphia, to win, win trophies on a regular basis, which then everyone else looks at it and is like, you know what, we have to take this way more seriously. And when that happens, I think U.S. soccer in general is better off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well said. Um, I know you guys are down in Atlanta. What's their academy like? Just out of curiosity, because I know they're also one of those teams that has a deep pockets. So they're bringing in, they're they're able to spend money, but do they have a good academy system right now? Something they're building. Yeah, I know they're building it. Uh, they inherited a lot of talent when they en- enter the league. So a lot of the new clubs, if you look at like Minnesota. Um, when they entered, they basically um, started from scratch. I think LAFC also started from scratch, so starting at U12 or U13, and so it takes multiple years. Here, I think, I forgot how they did it, but they they got a few talented players in the beginning. Like Andrew Carlton is, mm. you know, when when he was signed, it was the same time as Paxton Pomacall, and they were seen as number one and number two. Bella, uh-huh. And they signed Bello as well, um, who was seen, okay. you know, back in the day, like at U17 level, to be the best left back prospect. Now both of those guys have kind of dipped a little bit, um, <clears throat> and I think the tough part about Atlanta, to like you guys said, they're heavy spenders, so they get playing time is hard, right? Yeah. And LA Galaxy, we used, we said that in the podcast. LA Galaxy is a great academy and great talent, but they never get playing time, right? Because like the Galaxy are always buying players to take that space, and so. I think it's like they're at odds, right? It's like if you're a buying, if you're a heavy spending club, that means it's limited space to give chances to young players. Um, if you're not a heavy spending club, by definition, you almost have to do it in order to be uh, competitive, right? But I do think a club that can figure out the balance, which still hasn't happened yet, I think would then really break open, uh, you know, in, in terms of competitive advantage in the league. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's something. No offense, I don't want Atlanta to do that, knowing that they do have some of an academy and then the really deep pockets. You know, we're hoping that they kind of fumble their way and find more <laughs> Andrew Carltons who kind of slow down their development. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you feel as a United fan? <laughs> um, 
I mean, we we also said this like it's 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 not really in their identity to develop youth, or at least we don't. I don't think it's yeah. not present. It's yeah. not visible. You to said me. the identity was like South the American. identity is South American mm-hmm. pipeline and big stars. I mean, if you look at the system that they're using right now, it's like who's gonna if you're a forward and you're a youth player, like, good luck, you know? Yeah. Right, like, yeah, you're not, you're not seeing the field. Joseph Martinez, <laughs> at best, uh, for another attacking player, it would be, like, a number 10. It would be, like, a pity Martinez behind or him. Or a Barco. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just not really prevalent. It's not in the identity for Atlanta. I think Atlanta is just, like, all about big, big fan base, big stadium, big spending, Yeah. a lot of movement. Um, you know, they're not afraid to – which let go of Gressel, which is crazy. They're not. They yeah. don't seem that afraid of selling LGP. You yeah. know, like they seem pretty confident that they can constantly just keep buying players. Players, yeah. and um, you know, it's just I don't think it's just part of their their identity. Yeah, I, the club I would look out for to maybe have a shot at balancing this is Seattle, because they traditionally <clears throat> buy players, but their new upcoming class is like really strong. Like Danny Leva. AOC, uh, who's a striker there. I mean, their entire Tacoma, which is their USL team, is like just basically all teenagers. Um, and I feel like they don't churn as much, and their players that are their core tend to be older. So, like, Atlanta is like. Like Rui Diaz. Yeah, Rui yeah. Diaz and Ladero. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, Atlanta here is like you have stars, and Joseph is 25 or 26. Yeah. Right. right. So yeah. He's not, he's not <laughs> going anywhere. You know, like. You know, that, that first team was like the. The average age of like the really big star players are like 23, 24. Exactly. And like, but I think Seattle, Lodero is going to need some man- time management. You know, Rudy mm-hmm. Diaz could use some time management. Which I think they're, they'll start time. they're okay with leaving space for other players to step up yeah. in those spots. So Seattle's probably, I think, the biggest threat in that. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, and then also, so just think about, like, a big spending... Like, you guys have such success in Atlanta. It almost... I don't want to say it diminishes the idea of academies, but, like... I don't know. Arthur Arthur Blank doesn't really have a, a reason to focus on the academy as long as his big money purchases are working. So as long as you guys are successful, it seems like... I mean, like, do you, do you as a fan care whether it's academy or, you know, bring in an Almiron, a Pitti, a Barco? As a fan, does it matter to you whether it's academy or big purchases? I feel like for all listeners is something that needs to be cleared up and something that my brother and I are probably going to fight about <laughs> in future episodes at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, growing up, I watched the Metro Stars and now the Red Bulls. And when I moved, when I moved here to Atlanta, uh, the culture and the falling of... You know, Atlanta United is, is so strong, and I go to games and I watch as many games as I can. Um, I am I am embarrassed about this. I kind of switched allegiances. You definitely switched allegiances. You know, like I, pay, <laughs> I started paying attention to the team a lot and, you know, bought jerseys, and, and, and I kind of live that life now <laughs> of a traitor, you know? And, um, you know, Toodles, you know, Red Bull New York – Die hard. Um, Good so, for you, Tittle. Tittle. Yeah. So the thing is, like, that question is definitely for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Once>. <laughs> um, like, uh, you know, considering that Atlanta 
brought home MLS Cup and it's just his second year, um, I can't say that I'm that concerned. I'm not even like my biggest thing above all else is following U.S. soccer players. Like, okay. like watching soccer abroad, I don't watch any teams religiously in any way if there are no Americans on those squads. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I do not care about Chelsea, but I'll pay attention to Chelsea now that Pulisic is there. You know, like, so my biggest thing is, like, American players. My favorite player that was on Atlanta was Darlington Nagby. Like, my whole thing is, like, I care about American player success a lot. But when it comes to like um, you know titles, it doesn't really matter to me personally how they get there, whether it's big spending or youth players. You know, it doesn't make much of a difference. I, I mean, not to not to put like words in a Atlanta United fan, but I think the common theme is like you want to feel like you're connected to the club and the club is part of the community. Yes, of which Atlanta did a really great job marketing wise. Like mm-hmm. you cannot escape. An Atlanta United flag in any bar or any restaurant. No, like literally, like, people everywhere. who don't care about soccer still rock the flag. Yeah, and know? it's and I think That's they, cool. they hit a they hit a perfect time because the Braves left Atlanta to move to the suburbs, and um, and also they came at a time where Atlanta sports, like the Hawks, are really bad, and the Falcons lost a Super Bowl in the worst way possible. Yeah, and they haven't won a championship, and to have a team that comes in and it's like, no, we are in Atlanta. We embrace the city. We spend a lot of time building kind of relationships with, with bars and supporters and fans. And oh, by the way, we're going to outspend everyone and make a winner here. I think that's the way they connected with people here. Um, that's not going to be true everywhere else. I think you can make easily a connection model um, where it's built off this idea of homegrowns where you're like you are seeing players that are coming from the same neighborhood as you. And I think that's equally as cool. It's just not for every club. You know, like... In, in in Rebel New York, I, like I lived right next to the stadium, and like Carney and um, you lived in Harrison. Probably. Yeah, Carney yeah. and Ironbound and Newark, like these are hotbeds of soccer. And when they sign players that are nearby into Red Bull, it means something, you know. Like, um, and I think the same thing goes with like South South Jersey and Philadelphia, right? Like True. when you see a player from that area, and it's like half the team is like that, you have an opportunity to create that connection to the club. And I think that's what's most important, along with winning trophies, right? So I think you can't. Yeah, so to, you totally went down the path that I was about to ask about because Red Bull and Atlanta kind of have contradicting models on how they uh, are trying to find success. Um, and so I was, I was going to go down that road and I was going to kind of bring, say about how like me and Luke have always liked the homegrowns because they're from you know neighborhoods that we know. So we like Mark McKenzie and, and Anthony Fontana. Um, Aronson, the Medford Messi. So we have that connection with them, just like you're saying with the guys from uh, Red Bull. So, yeah, yeah. So I was just kind of curious. Um, and it's funny that you guys kind of have two teams that are kind of built on two different models of success. But you're both both finding success, which is nice for you guys, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the union are on the up and up. I feel like. Uh, yes, we are. Yeah, you guys are on the up and up. I feel Especially like- with those new kits, by the way. The, yeah, to, we love those. If you guys heard the bonus ode on, yes, yes, we did. You gave us a very high mark. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. Yeah, I like I liked your review. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I I I genuinely believe like the the connection with the club is 
is something that can be done. And I think, honestly, like the true nature, I think you said it in an episode, you're like the true proof point of MLS support is like the next generation, like probably 25 years from now, right? And so like, in order yeah, to Yeah, create- what I said was, I, like, I think the point of judgment in yeah. knowing if the league is real yeah. is give it the same time that, you know, how, however old Premier League, Premier League was so at the time. So let's, you know? go, let's go to that. So, there. yeah, it would be 25, 50, more than that. Yeah, yeah. and so, like, yeah. to me, like, we're just in that starting point. If you're building your identity on Academy, right, you're just in that starting point. Like, it's literally, I think the proof is in the pudding, the next generation where, like, me – or like fans my age who grown up with the club mm-hmm. and have a strong connection with the club are telling our kids or the next generation, oh man, man, you should have seen Mark McKenzie back in the day. He used to play right here. Right. Now he's here. Right. Now he went to Europe. Which and is a very Philadelphia thing, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, Wait, who's this boxer guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rocky Balboa is from where? So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think the supporter club culture and connecting it with homegrowns is going to take longer. But if I had to bet, I think that was, that's a deeper relationship than, than just winning quickly. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But, um, but, I mean, Atlanta, I'm sure, has zero plans of not winning anytime soon. So like, <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like as, as Union fans, it's good. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, so another interesting thing, um, you know, because when it comes to fandom, um, I am an MLS fan before I'm a club fan. Yeah, I can say I can say that, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting when Atlanta United won MLS Cup, and if you talk to anybody in Atlanta who did, still didn't care about soccer and whatsoever, and you ask them about it. Like say they're a diehard, you know, Atlanta Falcons fan. Um, I've heard this comment so many times where it's like, it doesn't count. Like the championship doesn't count. It's like they didn't have to suffer for decades, <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't count. You know, yeah. like it didn't come with the pain. You know, it's true. No, but it's 100%. but there's something real there. You know, like uh, oh yeah, the the happiness I'll feel when the Red Bulls finally won MLS Cup. Dude, don't act complete. like I also won't be happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna eclipse your happiness. <laughs> that's 100 true. Yeah, that, that's the exact point I was gonna bring up. That as Union fans, like I feel like the first trophy we actually win is gonna feel unreal, just because we've it's been so long and we haven't won anything. We've had heartbreaking uh, U.S. Open Cup fi- finals that I think that first trophy is just gonna just feel insane for Union fans. We're not gonna know what to do with it, dude. 2020 MLS Cup. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've seen Philly people celebrate. So yeah, uh, I, I don't think you guys would know this because I don't know if I mentioned it on our pod. Um, I actually lived in Philadelphia for four years for college. So oh, I nice. was, where, I was where there. Um, so East Falls area next to Germantown. Uh, Very like, cool. I lived in dorms that were right across from Penn Charter. Yeah, you didn't mention oh, Penn nice. Charter once. Yeah. I did mention Penn Charter, but I didn't mention that I lived there. That's like true. around that area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, honestly, if uh, I uh, was just more mobile, if I just had more money, if I, had, if, I was, if I wasn't a kid, if I had money, and if I was a little bit more mobile, I could have been easily a Philly Union fan. Totally. Because the, the, 
for me, I wasn't. I was paying attention to all their games. I was watching all of their games. Yeah. You know, I was following Sebastian cool. Latou, but I wasn't rocking a jersey because, like, I, I never went to at the time PPL Park. Yeah. Like, I never caught a game game. You know. We gotta yeah. Do that. Yeah. Let's go there. We should go to soccer specific countries. Yeah. Maybe countries. pot. No countries. My bad. Dude, that should be your guys' next project. You should uh, hit up all the MLS stadiums. All the soccer-specific stadiums in the country. I'm down, let's do it. Yo, hit us up if you go up to Philly. We'll uh, we'll hook you up. Um, we'll take you to the Sons of Ben uh, tailgate and all. We'll we'll treat you to a good time if you guys come on up. Yeah, we'll For take sure. you up on that. Yeah, and if you come down to Atlanta, let us know. You got For it. Sure. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, so you've only got a few more episodes left. What's your plan for after after your 25 stories? Yeah, we've been kind of brainstorming on it. I think we're settling down on this idea that um, that we had, which was, I don't know if you've been following the U.S. kind of Hall of Fame voting, but it's been kind of crazy. Yeah. Where, like, literally no one gets in. Like, Abby Weinbach was the only person who got in last year. And um, and the fact that Jaime Moreno is not getting in is, like, crazy to me. But then right. so, like, it, it, it became very obvious that I think MLS needs its own Hall of, Hall of Fame. And so, like, why not just make the next 25 about the 25 Hall of Fame players that we would put in? Would it be top 25? Yeah. Would we rank them? Yeah, I think we should rank them. Let's start with one. People like rankings. Yeah, I think think we should rank them. Yeah, they do. And that's going to be hard, I think. I know, but I think it would be worthwhile. (laughs) No, I didn't say it was going to be worthwhile. I I I don't know. My brain's already in a knot thinking about it now. Yeah. But (laughs) I think that's our next one, yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it for us, guys. Uh, we love the show. I appreciate you guys taking some time coming and talking to us um, and sharing your knowledge. And I like just kind of shooting the breeze about just the general philosophies of soccer with you guys. Uh, could you just plug your uh, your obviously your podcast, but also your personal uh, personal work? Yeah. Um, so our uh, podcast is Twenty Five Stories I Made MLS. You can follow us at uh, that is at twenty five. Underscore. underscore stories. Yeah, I forgot you don't have Twitter. <laughs> no, I was just saying it very slowly. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, what are question for you guys? Uh, what's the hope for year twenty five with uh, the union? Yeah, that's a good one. What What's our what? What's your What's your guys's like overall hope for the union uh, this this upcoming upcoming season? Well, AJ's the the biggest optimist, so he's going to say we're going to win the cup. I mean, if <laughs> anything less than the cup, I'll uh, be disappointed. Now, nah, I mean, it, it should be a good year. Um, I think if guys stay healthy, I think we need our striker core to get us a total of 30 goals. Um, I, I think health is going to be a big thing. Uh, if the homegrowns continue to grow, can continue their growth track, and and then we we just need to have a solid... Uh, defensive midfield. I, th- I think we'll be able to make some make some noise in the Eastern Conference. I, I do. I'm always a confident dude, so I do see us towards the top. I don't know, Luke. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say maybe we're like I don't know, f- three through five. I think we'll maybe finish in the East, and I think we might have a good chance of making a run in like U.S. Open Cup, or, or maybe we'll take Leagues Cup seriously and, and take have a run there. But I, I, I may be a little more uh, reserved than AJ. Nice. Yeah, at least Cup would be excellent. I mean, that's definitely a, a fourth opportunity for most teams now. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's still like a tournament that we're not really sure what to take from, but I mean, we're in it, so might as well compete for it. That's that's between 
you know, MLS and Liga MX, right? Yeah. Um, I yeah. think all of those are serious. They should be. They were like last even year. even if they try to not take it seriously, it'll turn serious. Like I, I'm predicting this this wild this All Star game is gonna be wild. It's gonna be nuts. Oh yeah. It might start like yeah, all yeah. fun and games at first, but then there's like if there's one hard challenge <laughs> yeah. at all, it'll just be mayhem. <laughs> I can't wait. I literally yeah, can't wait for the season. Well, hey, guys, uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast again. Like talking to you guys, and uh, hopefully we'll get to catch up again sometime. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. <laughs>